Welcome to the Wages of Sigma. We're here on location. All right, sorry. I was trying to do a little song there. Um, but no, when I say we're on location in my bad Star Wars uh, sing-along voice, um, we're doing something a little different here today. Uh, we're actually not recording uh, in the usual kind of setup that uh, that I have for, for us when we podcast. Uh, instead, we're actually this is the first time that we're going to be doing an episode using... Uh, the SoundCloud app itself. Uh, hopefully this will work out okay. Um, part of the reason we're doing this is because we are not home. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm Jack, and with me... I'm Corey. Thank you. Hi, hi Corey. Uh, <laughs> my Wifely beef. duties, Corey, checking in. Yes, thank you. I don't know if that makes me husband duties, Jack, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> so we'll figure that out someday. Um but no, we are we are actually not in our usual uh, area of residence uh, where we record, uh, and I didn't bring uh, my laptop uh, as we are on vacation. We are up in beautiful uh, Cape Cod. Uh, we were actually just finishing up a vacation that we've had the past week. Yes, tonight is our last night of vacation, so we've been vacationing the whole week. and yes. And we're just kind of now, you know shoving it in your faces <laughs> that we're having a more fun time than you. Um, <laughs> but no, no. Um, no, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, the capper to this week, um, what, one of the things that really uh, made me want to go back to Cape Cod, because um, I used to go to Cape Cod a lot when I was a kid every summer, um, Cape Cod features one of the last remaining drive-in movie theaters. Now, uh, for those of you who might not know what that is, uh, you're like, what the hell is that? Well, because that's because at one time in this country, we had about 4,000 drive-in movie theaters at its height where, you know, you just, you go in your car, you drive up, you park in the spot, you get a speaker, put on your car, and then, you know, watch a movie. Uh, or usually it'd be two movies, like a double feature, uh, now there are only about 300 or so left in the entire country. Um, and that still sounds like a lot. I know you said that it surprised you. I was surprised that there were that many. Yeah. And I know, you know, I'm sure we could probably have gone to one that's somewhat closer to us than coming up here. But there was a certain nostalgia factor for me for wanting to do this, too, because I, I had a lot of fond memories of going with my family to see you know, really well-known movies uh, that just happened to be playing there at the time. Like, uh, I saw Forrest Gump uh, at the drive-in here in Wellfleet in Cape Cod. I saw Babe, uh, the great pig movie. I saw Men in Black. It's a bunch of movies, over, you know, over time. And But tonight I wanted to give that experience to you. Because I have never seen a drive-in movie until tonight. Yeah, and uh, I think the one the one little change they still had the speakers which they had the last time where you, you take you know you could take a speaker or two which I think I did uh, I was kind of greedy I should have only taken one but I took two speakers you can do that or you, they also have a thing where you can actually tune into a radio station which I don't know how maybe it's because it's Cape Cod maybe they have a way of working out the frequencies but you tune into a radio station that plays the audio from the movie. And, um, and so anyway, so, so we decided to go do this. Um, we, we were slightly limited in our choices because they weren't really showing dr the drive-in movies during the weekdays. And we, we came here Monday night. We weren't able to see, we weren't able to go on Memorial day that evening. So it left us with tonight, Friday night or last night here, and they had a double feature of Deadpool 2, which, if you want to hear our thoughts about that, go back to previous episode. Uh, but we'll bring that up maybe a little bit in context of what we're going to get into. And the movie we're about to talk about, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Um, of course, you know, what else were they going to call it? <laughs> so... Anyway, I don't know how we get started talking about this. I mean... Drive-in movie theaters are cool... Solo is not. No. And Go see any other movie at a drive-in movie theater. Because having the experience of attending a drive-in movie was awesome. 
this actual movie is not awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously cool to check out Deadpool 2 again, which, again, as we said in our review, uh, you could listen to more of our thoughts. But, you know, in general, we like that movie. And with Solo, a Star Wars story, yeah, I mean, I kind of go, I, I wanted to try to like it more. Like, again, when I saw, when we saw Rogue One, I, you weren't on the full review with us. You were kind of lukewarm about that movie, but you didn't di- actively dislike it. I kind of came away with a similar thing. I was like, eh, it's, it's all right. You know, it's, it, 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 it does some things well, and it, but it doesn't really leave a lasting impression. This is even more of that. Yeah, so my very short review of this movie, before we go into detail, is this movie is very bad. Don't go see it. <laughs> really, don't uh, see this movie. See, I, it is bad. I don't know if I'd outright say it's bad, but I would Except say... Except for Donald that, Glover. Donald Glover is amazing. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get to Donald Glover, because, yeah, obviously, but he's one of the highlights. This movie is trash. It... The biggest problem, I think, is that it by the end of it, I just I still wasn't sure if it justified its reason for being. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, this that, movie that's is- for all of the work that you have with this cast, and you know you have some you know really good actors in this movie. Um, not just you know we mentioned Donald Glover, but you know you also have Woody Harrelson and Paul Bettany and Miller Clark and. Well, we'll get to Alden Ehrenreich in a minute. Oh, it's, it's worth, so simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in joke for Hell Caesar fans. Um, no, but it's just, by the end of it, it's like, why? Why does this movie exist? Uh, aside from Disney and Lucasfilm having to justify, you know, buying Lucasfilm for the billions that it did, you know, it's like, why, why are we still... What what is your goal with these? I don't know if the word is interstitial, but you know the, yeah. these little movies that you have in between your main episode films, which clearly so far you're doing pretty well with your episode movies. I liked Episode Seven, and I love Last Jedi. Come at me. Um, yeah. So basically, I think their goal is cash money, son. Yeah, because it ultimately I. I don't know if I was t- opposed to the idea of like a Han Solo movie. I mean, maybe you could find, you know, kind of a fun swashbuckling adventure movie a- story out of, you know, this character because he clearly made, you know, a great impression in those original movies and, you know, to an extent in episode seven. But it, this movie almost made me think like maybe his time is just gone. Yeah, I, here's the thing, the long and the short of this movie is, it's not entertaining or worth watching in its own right, like, if you were to watch this movie without any other connection to Star Wars, it doesn't work at all, like, it doesn't work as an independent film, but it also doesn't work as part of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and that was the thing also with Rogue One, where, you know, you have this story, which is, I guess kind of a prequel sort of really episode 3.79 or something you know and you know it, it, it the movie rogue one especially doesn't work if you hadn't seen the other movies but it also had the problem of being having too much fan service and han and this solo movie is no less different if anything i felt like this even ha- had more fan service than rogue one if you can like picture that, but not good. No, it it, it didn't. It and I, I a part of me respects kind of what uh, the writers were after. The, 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 it, what's also kind of astonishing is this movie was written by Lawrence Kasdan, who uh, you know wrote uh, is kind of responsible for what we love so much in Empire Strikes Back, and you know in part in Return of the Jedi. Um, he wrote this movie with his son, and I, 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 I don't know what they thought they were doing with this story. I mean, I, I get that maybe they thought, well, let's do like a fun heist story, but I just didn't really care so much about the stakes of the heist. Like they, they, yeah. they, the, the, the what they try to do is they, they set Han Solo 
as his sort of, you know, again, origin story. You might as well call this um, Star Wars Origins <laughs> Han Solo, if you know what I mean, uh, for X-Men fans. It was interesting in itself because we saw, because of the post-credits of you know, Deadpool 2. <laughs> but anyway, um, but I just, I feel like the, the movie just has so much backstory that we're not privy to but yet we're still supposed to care about these other characters surrounding Han Solo and the sort of stakes of like this, uh, this world of smugglers and uh, other people who are on the fringes. Not, uh, they kind of have the empire in there, but not that much. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think of ways I can say this movie's boring over and over and over again without the podcast itself being boring. Because the long and the short of this movie is that the plot is dull, the characters are dull, the movie's an eyesore visually, and there's just no reason to watch this movie except for... Donald Glover's performance, which really, I'm sure some enterprising individual is just creating a YouTube Yeah. Um, there's also, there also There were a couple of entertaining characters. Oh, in I like his droid, too. Yes. Donald Glover's droid. Yeah, Donald too. Glover has a droid in the movie, too. Uh, there's a character named L337. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the actress who, who does the She the sounds just like Tilda Swinton. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's mostly an English actress. Very deep voice. Um, and it's funny how, following once again also from Rogue One, like one of the best characters is not even a human being. <laughs> yeah, this... My main beef with Rogue One is the actual protagonist is a pretty boring character. And there are, like, these good characters on the fringes that are potentially interesting, but they don't get enough screen time. Han Solo is a total nothing in this movie. Which is crazy. Like, he... He's rice pudding. (laughs) (laughs) This is the rice cake of Han Solo (laughs) versions. I don't know if it's... Do you think it's mostly on Aaron Reich, or is it also due to the writing? I think it's some from column A, some from column B. Yeah. It could also be the direction, but I'm not sure because I think part of it is just because maybe what we're what what threw me off is he doesn't really look like Han Solo. He doesn't really talk like him. He tries to do certain facial tics or certain like the way he like kind of scrunches his eyes or does a smile or something, but that's all surface. He's grin. When we can see it, which is going to be a whole other thing, oh. is very like Cheshire Caddy. Yes, um, yeah, he tries to do that, but I, I don't know. It's just the movie doesn't. It doesn't give me enough. I think again to a even if you just tried to take him apart from all the other yeah. Star Wars movies, if you just suddenly came to this and thought, okay, let's learn about this character Han Solo. And by the way, just even how they explain how he got his name was itself kind of stupid. Yeah, but... Like, couldn't he just be called Han Solo? He had to have an explanation for his last name. I'm remembering when we, of course, have watched the Red Letter Media critiques of the prequels. Yes. With Harry Plunkett. And I remember, to be honest, I don't remember which of the three reviews it was, but he mentioned that... One of the big problems in the prequel is that a lot of the characters, frankly, don't have personalities. And if you're asked to describe, like, Qui-Gon Jinn's personality, Mm. you don't have anything. I really feel like watching this movie, if you asked me, describe Han Solo's personality, tell us something about who Han Solo is. I would be completely at a loss. Well, I think, well, it's not even so much that. I think the movie also it kind of, it tries to telegraph to us about what he, about who he is or something. There's a scene kind of, I, I don't know if I'd say later in the film, but it's like around 
near the end of the second act or beginning of the third act, whatever you'd call it. And it's like there's a scene where Han has a conversation with uh, Amelia Clark's character. Um, God, I'm blanking on her name now. Kira. Oh, Kira. And, you know, he, he's, you know, she tries to tell him, you know, you're a good person. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm a terrible person. And, all right, I mean, I get that kind of idea of, all right, well, here's this guy who has, like, a conflicted moral compass or something. But I don't even think we get to see that that no, much. We don't really, first of all, if the character is, if we're supposed to think the character flirts with darkness, he doesn't, like, at all. You and- know, it's funny because... I still think Attack of the Clones is my least favorite Star Wars movie, and this might be maybe second to last now that I think about it, but I almost feel like Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones has more personality than Han Solo in this movie. (laughs) I can't believe how incredibly bland he is. And What's amazing, too, is Alden Ehrenreich reportedly, I don't know if you read about this, but he had the, he was actually given an acting coach for this role even though he's been in other movies and you know we liked him he was really funny in Hail Caesar I saw him in a Warren Beatty movie called Rules Don't Apply that he was really good in so I don't know it could have been a fault of direction I I feel like this Han Solo problem I think it's deep rooted yeah I I think it's both a poor performance and a poor script and poor direction. So I feel like what happened is the script gave him nothing. And he, sometimes an actor has the power through sheer force of his charisma to transcend a weak script. He couldn't do it. So Oh, but I, I you know, it's like I, I, I almost I feel kind of bad for him because I can almost tell in his face at times he is kind of trying, but I yeah, but yeah, he's not given quite enough. I feel like by the third act of the movie, when they try to amp up some drama and the twists kind of just happen one after another after another, I almost felt like he tried to come into his own a little bit there, but it was a little bit too late. It's it's another thing like with Rogue One where the last act of that movie actually was kind of exciting. But you didn't really care about what ha- happened before, so why so care I, now? I think he was given terrible material, and he turned in a mediocre performance. Yeah. Although I would say, and I, you're, I hope you're ready for this. Don't don't kick me out of bed. Don't kick <laughs> me out of this motel room because I don't know where I'll go. Um, I actually thought though the best part of him was probably his rapport with Chewbacca. I kind of liked I thought I liked Chewbacca more than Han Solo in this movie. <laughs> Who knew? And I know you hate Chewbacca. I'm a well-known loather of we, Chewbacca. We've, we've talked about it on the podcast before too, so it's not a uh, it's not you know it, it's it's not a surprise. Um, but I kind of like Chewbacca in this movie. I know, I, I it's terrible of me to say that. I, but I felt like he was probably better defined than Han Solo. He had a clearer personality. <laughs> and- yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is just a side note. Like, it, they, there's like kind of like one of these early, a scene early in the movie, like uh, that kind of like first turning point we call in script terms where... Like the Han Solo is joined up with Woody Harrelson's character uh, after kind of I guess fighting together in the Imperial Army, and uh, Woody Harrelson wants to do like a like a heist, and he brings in Han Solo and Chewbacca, and they have like a campfire scene, and the, they do the thing where Han Solo is like, "I want to do this so I can get back to my girl," blah blah, and then Chewbacca talks about how like he had like a you know, the Imperial army took over his planet and you don't know whether he wants to go back to his tribe or his family. (laughs) And that brought to me how the star Wars holiday special (laughs) is canon. (laughs) This movie made me wish I was rewatching the star Wars holiday special. Yeah. It's like, 
bring on the 10 minutes of indecipherable <laughs> Wookiee growls and old man Wookiee watching porn. Anyway. Um, At least the Star Wars holiday special would be Arthur. That's true. And it had that animated segment. So, and you know, again, I, I want to say to those listening, I didn't go into this really thinking, oh, this is going to be dog shit or something like that. The premise of the movie made it sound like, oh, Han Solo in his early years involved in kind of like a heist story. That, or that's what the trailer sold, where like Woody Harrelson's like, I'm putting together a crew. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I love heist movies. I, I love a good twisty thing. But the heist is, I mean, I guess there are a couple of different heist plots, you could say. One of them gets resolved pretty fast, but then it leads to another story, which I guess makes up the main plot of the movie. But it's just, there just wasn't a lot of, I hate to use this word, but there wasn't a lot of heart to it. I was not excited to see this movie. And I was actually planning on not seeing it. But because we had this you know, unique opportunity to attend a drive-in movie on vacation. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'll see this movie. And while I was not excited to see it by any means, I I was also, I set the bar really low for what would be a success. And and would you say this actually even went below your bar? Oh yeah. So wow. On the one hand, mm-hmm. I was not excited for this movie, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, I was as long as it was just relatively entertaining, I would have been happy. Yeah. I mean, I want we'll get back to some of the character stuff in a second, but I think we should touch on a major major issue that both I, I of us can't. had with this cuz we almost can't talk about why this movie doesn't work without addressing a major I can't technical believe issue. we've made it 22 minutes without railing well, against Well, I well, I wanted to talk about Han Solo himself because, you know, he's, you know, the main character of the movie, although he's not the most far down the list of interesting characters in this story. Um well, but but here's but but you talking about how you wouldn't have gone to see this if not for the drive-in leads us to the theatrical presentation itself and that becoming its own kind of controversy <laughs> since the movie came out last week. Um, now, so to, to, to put to, to get to the point, Bradford Young, who is the cinematographer of this movie, one of the most baffling creative choices for a major motion picture I've seen in a long time. How he decided to light this movie. This movie is so ugly. It's so consistently visually unappealing. I was struggling to think of another like high-profile, high-budget blockbuster film. Well, I mean, I feel like this isn't an exactly like you know, sudden new trend. I feel like this was actually even more of an issue with certain blockbusters more like 15, 10 years ago or something. Like, I don't know, some, I don't know something like this just popped in my head, like Ridley Scott's Robin Hood or something The movie like is that. incredibly dark. Let's it's just it's get incredibly right dark. It. It's so darkly... I don't know if this was something that he did in camera um, as far, and when I'm talking about cinematography, um, you know, that, that involves when you're on the set, if you are planning to light something a certain way, and then in the camera, you can do certain things. Cause I'm assuming this was shot digitally. I don't think this was shot in film. I could be wrong. I'll do my research later, but I think Bradford Young is one of those people that's more on board with digital cinematography. That's actually different than what was done on uh, Force Awakens and Last Jedi. Those are shot on film. Those look much better than this. I don't know if, though, I, I, I haven't done the research to know if this was what happened in camera or in post-production. When you are done shooting the movie, sometimes you, go, you can go in and then alter the image to make it look darker. Whatever he decided, 
I, I wonder, I think it's actually a, an issue that also that goes to the producer though, because they had to okay this. So I blame him, but I also blame everybody who was now, around him. When we're saying this movie is really dark, we are not messing around. We're talking about you can't see the expressions on characters' faces. Yeah. We're talking about characters walk into rooms and they are so dark. It's just shadow upon shadow upon shadow. And this isn't like, you know, you, you talk about in film uh, history, you know, film noir, where you had, you know, a whole history of of cinema where it's shot to give it a certain effect. You know, characters are in shadows. They're in silhouettes. They're there. But that has usually an intention and not the entire film looks like that here with the exception of a few scenes and set pieces yeah. the, the the entire movie you can't look at people's faces you can't look at scenes even in the millennium falcon that yeah. you can't look at you can't see what people look like and we know like from other movies this is not how it looks and i don't i, I know that people i've heard the argument on a couple of things online and people saying well you know this is going back to how originally was the no. grittiness <laughs> of the 1977 Star Wars. Go back and watch George Lucas's Star Wars shot by, you know, a veteran cinematographer who everything in that movie you can clearly see. But yeah, it's we cannot emphasize enough. You will watch this movie and basic things are not visually clear. Yeah. I I seriously felt like I was having the visibility of like watching the movie without my glasses. I on. felt like I was watching lighting out of Manos, the hands of fate. <laughs> I felt like I was watching somebody who didn't have like the budget for lighting money or, or again, I, I, I can't, but I can't think that was the case because this is like a, $200 million and blockbuster. When I said to you, when I watched murky scene after murky scene, I said to myself, what are they hiding? What are mm. they trying to hide from me? I thought that maybe the extreme darkness was a way to mm -hmm. cover potentially shoddy CGI. Now, and, then we sh and I should also mention, though, that this guy Bradford Young... We, 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 you actually looked him up while we were watching the movie. One of the, I guess one of the perks of going to a drive-in theater is if you want to talk to someone next to you or look at your phone, have at it. Yeah. If anything, I'm, I'm surprised drive-ins aren't making a comeback for that reason. I looked this guy up. I also conducted some research about the... This guy, Bradford Young, is a highly acclaimed cinematographer who... I, I actually might have talked about his work on on the podcast before because I believe I had talked about uh, the movie Arrival. Um, I, I when I first saw that movie, I didn't know he shot it, and I thought watching it, oh wow, this is another great Roger Deakins shot movie. And then I saw the credit at the end, I'm like, oh, who is this? Um, because it was directed by Denny Villeneuve, and he's worked with Deakins before. But that was my way of kind of paying him a compliment where it's like, wow, you shot this movie that looks spectacular. And he's also shot things like Selma, um, a, violent a, year. a most violent year, ain't them body saints. He's a, he's, he's big with, um, Ava DuVernay. He was nominated for an Academy Award. Yes. For probably for arrival. And it, you know how we talk about how it takes someone with real talent to fail catastrophically? So this might be that kind of thing. Well, I have to wonder, was he maybe embarrassed about working on this movie and he decided to shoot it this way? I And the thing is, too, we should also get into the part of the this. This was a very troubled production. Um, and I, you didn't really know about this till I told you while we were watching the movie. Um the original directors of the film were Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. You know those names because they made the uh, the Jump Street movies, uh, the Lego movie, Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs. They are supremely talented people. You know, the Lego movie is just... Amazing. You know, uh, clearly that, that should have gotten them hired. 
And I think people originally, when they heard that, they wondered, oh, okay. And, and this is what I thought too. This is why I was originally excited. Obviously this changed when everything else happened, you know, cause it's like, oh, okay. So they're maybe going to put like kind of a comedic spin on star Wars possibly, or, you know, maybe they'll make kind of like a lighter tone. You might have some kind of things might feel a little more improvisationally, but I have to wonder if they, um, if they okayed how this movie looked though. And I think from what I've read, so what happened was they got fired and they were already shooting for like three months. They were well into production. They had, they shot about 75% of the movie. They brought then Kathleen Kennedy, the producer, hires Ron Howard. He apparently reshot a lot of what they did, um, but it still has that look. And I don't know if that's Ron Howard just going, well, let's keep it consistent well, with how they shot it, or if he decided, well, I want to make it really dark and gritty. And, and it's like, this is the work of an Academy Award winning director. And an Academy Award-nominated cinematographer. And again, and Lawrence Kasdan in the writing. This is like, the, you know, the more I think about it, this is like a major Hollywood debacle we just witnessed. Like, we watched, this was like Bonfire of the Vanities times 100 or something. Do you want me to share with you what I learned from reading a few articles about the darkness in this movie? Okay. So, first- and, and by the way, we should mention, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but... In the interest of full disclosure, because you might think to yourself, well, you saw this at a drive-in theater. How, how, you know, maybe you're not seeing it in the right projection. No, we had context because the movie that played before us was Deadpool 2, which looked great. Yeah. So, and not only did Deadpool 2 look great on the drive-in screen, we saw Deadpool 2 in a regular movie theater, then saw it again at the drive It looked consistent with how it was supposed to if look. If anything, I thought, if anything, I thought the drive-in screen looked a little better. Maybe than so. A regular. Yeah, maybe so. Like, that drive-in movie screen looked gorgeous yeah. when we were watching Deadpool. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that clear in full disclosure for those who might be wondering about, like, if we had, like, a sort of bias or didn't see it in the most perfect way possible i mean yeah we didn't see it in imax so whatever but tell tell me what you're about to say all right so i read a few articles defending the cinematography of this film saying that if the movie looks too dark it's a failure of the projectionist right not a failure of bradford young and I saw, I forget the guy's name, but a guy saw it, like, in a regular movie theater, and he said, like, this film looks like garbage. And then he saw, he saw it at, like, a film festival. I forget which film festival. Well, it premiered at Cannes. Okay, so apparently I read this guy who said, at Cannes, it looked great. And then he saw it again, just at, I think, a Regal Cinema, and he right. said it looked like garbage. Well, yeah, well, that's that's a thing that's common currently, where a lot of cineplexes, they, they don't really have, like, the bright, literally, like, bright bulbs to project things. And- now, here is why I think that defense is crap. Mm-hmm. The people seeing your movie are not seeing it at con. Yeah. They're seeing it at AMCs, they're seeing it at Regals. Y- yeah, you're... you're it, if this is you your- have to design for what people are actually going to see. If your film cannot be displayed in multiplexes without looking like garbage, that's your fault. Yeah, and I mean, there there's probably a much larger argument that can be talked about regarding projection in general and how, you know, theaters are not being consistent anymore. Uh, you know, part of it's, you know, not you know, just not caring in part of its money, um, but that doesn't necessarily. But but again, the people behind this movie, this movie, they can't es- expect everyone to go to see this movie always in the like super highest you know visual thing. And also, and but, but going back to what we just said though, we were at a drive-in movie theater where clearly they were caring about this production, but it was just still too dark yeah. and. It was actually, it was kind of ironic, though, because 
in the few scenes later on in the movie when it was starting to have a little bit of light, still washed out, but a little bit oh, more yeah, light the to see. color scenes. is incredibly washed yeah. out like, and desaturated. Again, like Rogue One, too. But even in those scenes, then it started to rain a little bit. So it was like as if, we, if fate cursed us. So yeah, it's just, it's baffling why they decided to shoot this movie. And also tonally, what does it have, what does it add something to the movie itself? Like to even shoot it this way? Even if you're seeing this movie in the best projection possible that you could find anywhere on earth, it's still shot and presented, as you said, very drab colors, very washed out. Um, when again, there's any color. Yeah, they're very darkness. How are we supposed to empathize with our characters if we can't see them? Yeah, and again, as I was watching this, I thought to myself, is this movie so dark I literally can't see the actors' faces? Is this trying to hide deficiencies in their performances? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would go quite that far, um, but but you, get, you might be onto something. I mean... Maybe we'll find out in Bradford Young's tell-all what he was really up to here or, you know, or again, what the creative decision or thinking was. But it also kind of, as I said, this isn't necessarily a new thing in cinema. It it stretches back to something that's been happening the past 10, 15 years with action movies where the thought is, you know, grit means dark and you got to have grit to your movie. And... You know, the production design of the movie is fine when you get to see it, but if it's too dark to really tell, like, there are times where there are characters which look like, you know, the real, you know, CGI creations, and we don't get to see them. And that was what you said, too, that, like, are they hiding the bad CGI? Yeah, because there are, of course, because it's a Star Wars movie, there are scenes where characters are, like, in cantinas full of aliens, sitting at gambling tables full of aliens, and again, the light is so terrible, you can barely see the design of these aliens. Yeah. And I wondered, is this a way to try to hide... Um, laziness or sloppiness or, um, you know, is this a way to hide problems with the design of these aliens or set design? It, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Obviously, we're not saying you can never have dark scenes in movies. No, absolutely not. But again, though, it, maybe have it in moderation or something. And also I thought that, you know, you see a movie like, like a Han Solo uh, centered yeah. story. If it's supposed to, it shouldn't it be a little more fun. And if it's fun, shouldn't you be able to see the characters a bit more? Yeah. You know, I mean, like you look back on like em- the empire strikes back, which is often regarded as like the darkest oh. story wise, uh, star Wars movie. You could see things clearly in that movie throughout even like when like the the darkest part of that movie is the fight between uh vader and and luke and yet that's still that was shot beautifully you can tell everything that's going on that fight and in their interactions imagine if that if the i'm your father scene was shot like how solo is (laughs) Yeah, and it might seem like we're harping on this a lot, but I really want to emphasize that it's a constant irritant. Yeah, and and I'm sorry, you know, if you can try to say, well, it's this, you know, the AMC's theater's fault or Regal Theater's fault, but, you know, most people will go to just see a movie once. If you don't have this sorted out with the theaters or with, you know, what you're doing in post-production or shooting people are not going to watch this movie again. They're not going to buy it on video. They're not going to do anything with it. Sorry we can't pop over to con to see your garbage movie. Or or go to see it in IMAX or something. God, do you know this movie is playing in 3D? (laughs) You know, like in theaters also? Imagine, think, because 3D also, you know, 3D makes images look dark uh, Mm -hmm. anyway. 
if we saw this in 3D, I would almost feel like we're watching like a shadow puppet play. <laughs> <laughs> like we're wa- like watching the first animated film ever made, which was done with like puppets against light. Um, it, it's, it's yeah. It, so it, and this is you know this isn't like some no budget movie shot for like a hundred dollars in someone's basement. It's Star Wars. Yeah. So the defense of the cinematography is, oh, it's a projection problem, not a cinematography problem. I call bullshit. It's total BS. And we said, we saw this movie in an environment where the screen was larger than a typical multiplex screen. And I'm sure they had, again, a a really good projector because we mentioned Deadpool 2 which doesn't look dark, uh, looked yeah. fine. And I'm sure Deadpool 2 didn't have, you know, especially artistic cinematography, but that movie looked spectacular. Yeah. On the screen. No, it, it, it looked like you could see what was going on. You could see people's faces. Um, again, I, I have to emphasize this. There are scenes where the characters are in the Millennium Falcon and it feels like they didn't even have lights on. Like, it's just the lights from their the control panel that are lighting their faces. I cannot think of another experience I've had like this where 80% of the movie is super dark. Which, and, and for you, that's a, it's especially, it, it's significant too, because you don't usually, you're not as aware, I think, of technical stuff like even I no. am. I do not have your sophisticated eye. I legitimately said after the f- the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, when people made fun of the lens flare, I actually said to you, there was lens flare in that movie. <laughs> so that was an example of a kind of stylistic choice that lots of people found very obnoxious that I didn't even notice because I was so engrossed in the film. Yeah, and that's I think that speaks to a larger point, too. I kind of wonder if if the script had been better, if maybe you could have, I'm not saying excuse, but maybe could have at least tried to get yourself invested in the story in this, yeah, this solo story. Yeah, this fails in basically every way a movie can fail. So Well, I, I saw some potential... In some scenes, I, I'm I'm not quite as this is a garbage movie as you are. Although it's a very misguided effort in a lot of ways. We again, we 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 kind of touched on him a number of times, but let's 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 talk about a couple of good things. Let's talk about Donald Glover. Okay, Donald Glover is amazing in this movie. Yeah, it as soon as you see him come up on the screen uh, as Lando Calrissian, it's just. It's perfect. Like this, if you're going to revisit a character that we've already come to know and love uh, from these movies, that's how you do it. Get somebody who is just dripping with charisma, who gets the voice right, gets the look right. And the problem is, though, it's almost hard to see him interact with Alden Ehrenreich. Am I pronouncing his name correctly? Yes. Okay. Um... It's almost hard to see them interact because <laughs> the charisma differential between them is so great. It's 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 like um, it, God, it, it, you could see Aaron Reich trying so hard to be like the cool smuggler guy, but he's not fit to carry yeah, Donald Glover's and- jock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> He, it's like Donald Glover is uh, one of those super badass basketball players in like the seventies, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Wilt Chamberlain, and Alden Ehrenreich comes in. He's like the third string white guy nobody remembers from the yeah. team, and yet he's elevated to this point. It's like God, where's Ray Fines to give him acting lessons? <laughs> um, it, and- it, it, it's it's and yeah, it's an interesting point you make where. You know, he's really good. Um, the robot uh, that he has is entertaining. Uh, who's almost like her character, like the robot character is like a robot rights activist. Yeah. And so they're fun. Um, 
up to a point, I thought Woody Harrelson did the best that he could with what he had, you know, because he's Woody Harrelson. He's a really good actor. Um, I even like I like even though he's only in a couple of scenes. Uh, I like Paul Bettany. I, I like that he got to. I felt like it, it's weird that Infinity War is a better movie. But I feel like he had more to do as an actor in this movie, <laughs> oddly enough, like at, playing like this scuzzy villain. Uh, and Amelia Clark, we could touch on her for a second. Okay. I. What's weird with her character? Um, we we listened to another podcast, which we also at the Wage of Cinema highly recommend, called Film Spotting. They reviewed this movie and they kind of touched upon Kira and how like she's the kind of one character who we main character we don't quite have sort of wondering well what's going to happen with her uh, in this world and uh, and yet we don't see enough of where she, what happened to her and her story which seems actually more interesting yeah. than what happened with Han Solo I don't think Kira is especially interesting in Solo however I bet other writers and other directors yeah. could have made a pretty good movie about Kira is introduced as Han Solo's girlfriend in the opening scene of the movie. Right. So, and then they, five minutes into the movie, they part company and then there's a three year time jump. Right. And a movie set that covered Kira's life over those three years would be really fascinating because the movie hints at some really um, traumatic, dark things. Like yeah. he, she, she caught, she had to work under Paul Bettany and this kind of criminal network or something. I, f- I forget the exact Crimson name. Dawn. Yeah, Crimson, whatever. Uh, Crimson Peak. <laughs> um, uh, they, um, yeah. So she, she kind of had her own story happen, which we don't really get to see. Although the end of her story at the end, oh god, oh yeah. you you thought that you were gonna you thought you rolled your eyes at Darth Vader and Rogue One. You haven't seen anything yet. Well, I'll just I'll just spoil it for you. Spoilers. Darth Maul pops up in this movie for no reason. Now, why is she in cahoots with the dark side? When we saw this, we said to ourselves. Well, this chronology makes no sense. Well, but then, Corey, here's where you, like, I'm getting, oh, God. Oh, you fucking people work producing these Star Wars movies. Oh, you are so stupid to do this. Like, it, it, so you found this out uh, while I was near the end of the movie. You Googled how... Darth Maul is alive in the animated series. That yeah, apparently some... I Twitter searched Darth Maul. Was it the show Rebels? I don't know. It just said the animated series. Yeah, well, there are, I mean, I, we, I, there are a couple of different ones. There's the Clone Wars, and then they have one which is set in the time period like this is set in uh, between three and four I episodes. I mean, I searched this on Twitter, so obviously... I was reading tweets, so they were pretty brief. But apparently it was established in the animated series that Darth Maul did not die in The Phantom Menace, which it's stupid they did that in the animated series. It's stupid that they expect us, the film-going populace, to know what's going on in the animated series. Yeah, and more to the... yeah, You exactly. know, we yeah. have jobs. We have lives. <laughs> We're not all neck bearded, thirty uh, year old, thirty something men. Uh, who... And you know, I consider myself like a Star Wars fan. Well, so like I consider myself a fairly nerdy person who has, you know, there are times in my life where I have enough free time to really, really squander it. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong, I waste time like a well, champ. Well, to the point where. And I don't know if we're getting a little personal history here. You know, when you first got into Star Wars, 
you kind of dabbled in Star Wars fan fiction. This is in the era before the internet, so you're not going to find this online anywhere. But you wrote your own Han Solo-centered story. Yeah, but it was set between A New Hope and Empire. Okay. It was not a prequel. Right, which is... You know that that that's fine if you yeah that 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 you actually have an established character, maybe ultimately a problem too. Uh, I'll get back to Darth Maul in a second. Maybe it's just we get kind of everything about who Han Solo is in Episode Four, and the rest it, trying to do anything more is filler. Yeah, well, can I I would have been fine if they made a movie. That was like, okay, this person is Han Solo in name only. Be entertained by this movie, but don't try to connect it to your vision of Han Solo. Yeah. I would have been fine with that. I would have been fine if I saw an interesting, captivating character, even if... I couldn't see any of Harrison Ford in him. Yeah, even if we could try to also ignore... The uh, another kind of side fact that we already have a great Han Solo this decade, and his name is Star Lord. Yeah, in the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy movies. So I was willing to. I said I think I said this earlier in the podcast. I was willing to go any place the director wanted to go. If I would have been fine if they actually created a character who was. Um, closely connected to the Han Solo of prior films. I would have been fine if this movie was totally standalone. But and- it's but but ultimately the problem is that the, the people making this movie and Rogue One, they, they're they're way too. They don't. They're they're kind of playing. They're trying to play it safe. But in the process, they're just making things completely muddled because they want to have like. This little story that can hold be hold on its own, but then again, you have a thing like the fucking Darth Maul scene. There are people who will be coming to Solo who have no idea who that is, and yet it's supposed to be like this big deal. Without your context, it doesn't work, and with the context, it's even worse. And that even and that sticks to other things they try to connect this with, like at the end of the movie. Well, well, Chewie, we have uh, so I got this. Uh, so Woody Harrelson guy, I'm blanking on his name now. Whatever, he's like, Who cares? yeah, Tobias. He, Tobias, thing. he says. So Tobias told Tobias me about. Beckett, so Tobias told me about this uh, gangster on Tatooine who has this real plot that we should try to do. Oh, I haven't steered you wrong before. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. And we have know, to connect things. To- <laughs> and you know, I'm. I feel like I am very open to, like, corny jokes and corny references. So, if I'm rolling my eyes, I can't see how anyone would like them. Like, to put things in perspective, I am... I love, like, the James McAvoy bald jokes in this genre Um, of... I, I liked the first one they did in first class. When they got to Apocalypse, that's a whole other... We, you can go to our podcast but about that, so you, too. So, I can enjoy corny crap like that and think it's really fun. And I'm cool with fan service. I'm cool with, like, corny jokes. But these are just so groan-inducing. And they're so, like, inorganic. No. Yeah, it, absolutely not. They're really bad. And... I do not care about a single one of these characters in this movie at all. With the exception of Lando Calrissian. Calrissian. Which is, which, in the other news, too, as soon as the this movie came out, they announced we're doing a Lando movie. Now, which even, great! Even though Donald Glover is awesome in this movie and he's the one thing that reduces, You're not looking forward to a Lando movie. Well, I was actually irritated by the fact that I was watching a Han Solo movie and not a Lando Calrissian movie when Lando was on screen. Yeah, it, it's the kind of same thing, too, where, going back to Rogue One, you had that much more interesting kind of backstory of that Mad, Mads Mikkelsen, his yeah. character in that, 
you know, like what his whole storyline involving him and that he was the guy who kind of developed the Death Star and the whole flaw in the system. Like that was a much more interesting character than this chick who like, you know, has just generic sauce. Yeah. Super generic sauce. Yeah. That, that's my biggest problem with this is the genericness of it. Even yeah, again, down to the look of it, down to a lot of the dialogue, um, down, you know, it, it down to, you know, the action scenes, they try to do a couple of clever things here. Um, there are a couple of tiny things. If I really tried to dig deep that I kind of said like, Oh, that's kind of funny. Like early in the film, they're in like this kind of spaceport or something. And on a TV, they, they have an ad for like an army recruitment video, but for the empire. And I yeah. thought that was kind of clever. Um, I thought that, um, um, I don't know. I kind of like the whole card game aspect itself when they showed that in a couple of scenes. Um, you know, it would be kind of fun to watch uh, Texas Hold'em Star Wars style, maybe with all those weird characters. Uh, but again, it's not enough to sustain you through this plot, which I'm sorry. I just, I don't really get, I don't really care about this whole criminal network fighting with these smugglers and then you trying to work in some half-baked thing with no it's really about the rebellion or the plot is incredibly dull it's just yeah it's dull if it's not annoying you then it's just they're kind of on a flat line and again that's a problem because also the look of the movie is worse down man longer I talk about this movie, I like it less. Yeah, so basically this is a movie with an incredibly dull, generic heist plot. It's totally ugly to look at, and every character except for, like, one and a half is a total trip. <laughs> really, just well, watch I, a mashup of Donald Glover scenes on YouTube. Well, I almost all you have I to think do. that there you could. I saw some potential with Woody Harrelson, but they muck that up with just piling on twist after twist in the third act yeah. to the point where there's this one scene that I was kind of fascinated by because as a writer, I watched this scene where you're having a character double-cross one character, and then suddenly that becomes its own double-cross. And there's another double-cross. And then, oh no, there's another one. If you rewatch this movie, that's not going to have that much suspense to it. Yeah, it. Nothing is ever going to match what you did in Empire with Lando betraying Han Solo to Darth Vader. Nothing. And you keep trying to up that, and... Yeah. I wasn't even sure... How to take Woody Harrelson's last scene in the movie? That's all. Yeah, his yeah. Last without, scene. I won't even spoil that. If you, if you care, you'll you'll see the movie. But I don't even know what I'm supposed to take away from. No, that. I'm not either. Uh, I wonder. I have to wonder if. Um, like it, again, if you ask me to give a basic summary of like who this character is, what the main dimensions he's, of his personality he, he's, are. He's mentor smuggler man. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm teaching you kid how to do like criminal things, but I'm, you shouldn't trust me except when you should trust me. And, and then think of the potential twists that could in, could be involved with like a mentor character. See, this isn't the Lawrence Kasdan of The Empire Strikes Back. This is the Lawrence Kasdan of Dreamcatcher. <laughs> he directed that movie. I've actually only seen Dreamcatcher once. Oh, but well, when what, it came out, which is like fifteen th years. This ago. is the this is the alien uh, butt monsters of Star Wars movies. Dreamcatcher was probably more entertaining than this. Well, as Morgan Freeman's eyebrows were. <laughs> but anyway, I, I don't know what else to say about this. We've been talking about this movie for a while. Um, I think it's kind of a mess. There are certain things that aren't bad about it, but those things don't make it worth seeing. Like, if you are a super... If you are someone who's just like, well, I've seen all the Star Wars movies, why should I stop now? 
don't see it on in a theater. Don't pay for it that way. Wait for DVD if you don't really have to. Don't give this your money. But don't give this your money. Don't reward Disney and Lucasfilm for what is basically a, a cash grab. This is basically a version of... I think if this had just been a book or something, fine, whatever. But a movie is a much bigger commitment. A movie is something that should feel special. And by making movies like this... And even to an extent, Rogue One, which I, I I guess I'll say I like Rogue One more than Solo, but you're you're kind of cheapening what you had before. You're you're cheapening what you were doing with your movie series, where you used to take your time with these movies. Even the prequels, I'll even say the prequels have a little bit more justification than this, because at least those movies. They were very misguided, too, but there were things more about them I liked, especially the third one. This is has that prequel problem of trying to load in lots of story, and I just, I don't know what they're going to do going forward with these kind of movies. Um, I guess they have to justify to their fucking shareholders that, well, we got to keep churning them out. We can't. Why can't they just do episode movies? Yeah. You know? Like, Last Jedi is incredible. Last I, Jedi was awesome. I like The Force Awakens even more than you did. Yeah, I mean, I thought Force Awakens was fine. I wasn't a huge fan I'm of it. I'm a big Force Awakens fan, too. Yeah. Um, well, Force Awakens, I'll say this. That movie did what it had to do and that it laid the foundation that... If you didn't have that foundation, Last Jedi wouldn't work. So I'll give Force Awakens credit for that. You know, what What would be the foundation of this movie? You, like, I don't want to see another movie with this on Solo. Like, why couldn't they have just... I would have had more respect for Lucasfilm if they had just, you know, dug up Harrison Ford again and maybe made, like, a, like a Han Solo movie that takes place right before Episode Seven. Because at least then you would have fucking Harrison Ford is on Solo. Yeah, and I have to say, I actually like the idea of side stories in Star Wars. Conceptually, I liked it, but... I do too. I'm not a Rogue One <sighs> fan. I don't think it's terrible, but I'm not really a big fan of it. And I thought this movie was pretty terrible. Would so, you say that this is your least favorite Star Wars movie? Okay, in the heat of the moment, I would say yes, but... But you haven't seen the prequels in a long time. I've only seen the first two prequels once from beginning to end uh, when I saw them in the movie theater. Right. Now, I've again, I've seen the Harry Plankett detailed reviews. Right. So I kind of feel like I've seen them more than once. But yeah. and uh, I'm sure, like, if I fired up Attack of the Clones... But well, I guess I'm saying that because I I, I did rewatch the prequels, I'd say maybe two and a half years ago, like right before episode seven came out. And yeah, it's just these. I know what you mean. That I'm not completely opposed to the idea of other Star Wars stories that aren't in the main Skywalker storyline or whatever. But you got to try to do other things. You got to. Get some new characters. Well, focus on some things that aren't part of the original movies. Try to focus on something else. Unless if you can't. If you're going to do a side story, do a side story. Don't... I mean, have the courage to make a movie. If you want to make a side movie, have the courage to make a movie that does not badly quasi-connect to the main... This is a quasi-modo of movies. <laughs> I had to end on a, on a pun there. But yeah, I think this movie, I would say right now, this is my least favorite Star Wars movie. I really didn't like it. I, um, you heard it here, folks. I, with the exception of Donald Glover's performance, um, I really didn't enjoy anything about this. I was pretty much bored or annoyed yeah. through almost the entire runtime of the film. Yeah. It's not even like 
I was with this movie for a while and then it went off the cliff or it had a rocky start, but then it kind of redeemed itself at the yeah. end. I will say it gets less dark at the end. Yeah, that was the weird Finally. thing too. Like, I wonder if that was, I wondered for a moment if that was going to be like a conscious artistic choice or something where the whole movie is dark through a lot of it. And then later on it becomes light, but there are all, some dark scenes near the very end too. But yeah, I don't like this movie. I don't think it's good. I don't think it does anything particularly well. As, as Jay Sherman, the critic, would say, it stinks. <laughs> don't go say it. All right. If you have any thoughts about Solo, Star Wars story, or Star Wars in general, or our kind of hot immediate take on it, um, make sure email us at wageofsim at gmail.com. Um, I will say, though, once again, though, it was kind of great to see a drive-in movie and have that experience. So if you've happened to also have that experience, let us know that, too. Try to get yourself to a drive-in, because it's really fun. Yeah, it is. I I would love to go again. And I I might have touched on this briefly, but I feel like business owners out there or movie theater chains, you want to try to save movie theaters, start opening up drive-ins, because they're you get to have the experience of a good screen, a big screen, and yet you're by yourself. So if you want to look at your phone or talk with someone next to you, you're not bothering other people uh, who are next to you watching the movie. So anyway, uh, that was a solo Star Wars story. When we come back next time, we'll have more movies. Uh, hopefully they're better than this one. Till then, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And the Wages of Cinema is... Have a good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>